That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello and welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And as a reminder, we offer free ad reads to Black-owned businesses. So hit us up at podcast at a thing or two hq.com. Hi. Hi. I think that we're appropriately timing this, but I apologize if anybody feels like this is too soon, but we're going to talk about holiday shopping for a minute. Totally. I think here's the thing. In previous seasons, I might've felt like this is too early, but this is a weird year. And I think the point that we want to be making is in order to make holiday shopping decisions you feel good about, you kind of got to start early and sorry. Yes. So right, I think that's exactly right. So on that tip, let's start with the fact that if you're shopping online, which most people will be doing this year because we're not doing so much in person, please take two things into consideration. Shipping times, because hopefully you're not doing the bulk of your shopping on Amazon because there are so many small businesses and independent retailers that really need your business. And um, also Prime is not a sustainable thing that we should be like yeah. encouraging as a way we live our lives. Exactly. And two, so many retail businesses rely so much on the fourth quarter for their income, right? And so they're like a lot of the time struggling to make ends meet all year and like managing cash flow so closely and trying to find the money to buy the inventory that will make them more money all so they can just get to Q4 when they make most of their money. This is not ideal for anybody, no. right? <laughs> Running a business. If you can start your holiday shopping now to A, just like help them get the cash in the door so that they can get some more of that inventory available for the holiday rush, that would be so helpful for these businesses. It helps make them more sustainable. It also would just help them not break their backs on December 15th when all of a sudden everybody's ordering. Yes. Um, so, yes, so, yes, it, yes. so it is worthwhile thinking about it now, in fact. I agree. I agree. And when thinking about it, I think something you and I have been trying to be very active about thinking about over the last, you know, in general, yes, but especially over the last year is just thinking about the businesses we want to stay in business, which again, is probably not Amazon. That's probably not the one that you're like, ooh, at the top of my list, this is the business that, I, that really pulls my heartstrings. Right. And maybe that's a way also to like, re-envision how you think about holiday shopping instead of just saying like, what would this person want? Who can I support? And we've talked a lot about that on the show. And I think in general, there's a lot more conversation about that happening online, right? There's tons of lists of Black-owned businesses that you know were everywhere in June. Let's make sure that those are still being circulated and that you are using them when you're thinking about who you're going to give your money to. There so, are also lists of uh, LGBTQ plus and indigenous owned businesses. And it's nice to see that those things are being created and are just, I think, more accessible than uh, they probably were if you were looking a year ago. Yeah. And support your local bookstores who have made it clear that they're really, really suffering right now. And a lot of them are going to go out of business. And so taking the time to be more thoughtful, give yourself a little bit of room to be strategic about how you're doing this. Oh my gosh. The other thing I was thinking about when I, when I bought something the other day and paid more for shipping than I like wanted to, um, you know, it was like a $10 shipping fee on something that was like 
35 or $40. And I was like, like, I really don't want to do this, but I do really want to buy this thing. And I had to stop myself and be like, there is no such thing as free shipping. Like there, it doesn't exist. That is not a real, that is not an actual thing in the world. That is something that we've been tricked into believing is a thing. And the other side of that is it's so many small businesses use USPS to ship, which like, by the way, we've all, we've all were like on our high horses posting about how much we love the post office and buy stamps, buy stamps, buy stamps. So that's another way to support USPS is just paying for your shipping. That's right. That's right. Um, How are you thinking about gifting this year? One of the things I think I'm thinking about is just how to reframe some of the gifting that I do or how to like give it new structure. Like Thomas's family, they always do the like, let, we're going to draw names and, and everybody's going to do that. But then they always cheat, um, which drives me crazy. So you mm-hmm. draw a name, but then everybody's like secretly buying stuff for everybody. And I have to find out like whether we're doing this or like, it's. I despise it. It drives me <laughs> nuts because it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. like... No, I totally. Like being sold a bill of goods, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So this year, I want to just be like, hey, we're actually drawing names. And like, I will not accept any gift from a person who has not drawn my name. And I don't want to, and I'm not, and I'm not buying anything for anybody whose name I didn't draw because then there is that like scramble of buying stuff because you have to buy stuff. And I hate that. Hate that. Hate that. Hate that. Hate that. Right. Because you buy junk. I, this year, the one thing that we're doing is telling family that to only get books for Cam. This is both... Well, it's self-interested in every way. First of all, he loves books and I'm so sick of reading the same books over and over. And it is as exciting for him as it is for me when we get a new book in the mix. It also means we don't run the risk of getting a lot of really loud, garish plastic junk. Yeah. Um, And... We're going to encourage everybody to buy them from local booksellers. Um, it also means that you know, if we are in a position to visit family, we're not trying to figure out how to pack a huge amount of bulky toys. Oh my and gosh, I didn't even home. think of that perk, but that is a huge perk. That is honestly the one that I, like I'm leading with. It's yeah. I, I mean, last year we had to just ship tons of boxes of toys home. So I'm really hoping that people obey. I suspect some people will cheat, and that those people's uh, roles start with grand. Also, cheaters never win. You know, right. cheaters never win. I just That's would like right. to add. Yeah. I only buy my nieces and nephews books for their birthdays. And I really love doing it because I, it also forces me to be like, okay, what, like, what does a four year old want to read? Or what does like a nine year old want to read? Mm-hmm. And to resurface some of the things that I loved at those ages. Yeah. Like, I got one of Thomas's nieces, the little house books at one point was like, just felt so gr- like excited yeah. about yeah. this delivery that I was not going to be experiencing. <laughs> right. But yeah. Yeah, you're introducing yeah. her to a whole new world. It's so exciting. Thank you so much to Nutrafol for sponsoring today's episode. You may remember that Nutrafol was a sponsor on our show back in the summer. And at that time, they sent us some samples to try out. And so I'm almost finished with the three-month supply they sent over. And I can now tell you with authority, this stuff works. I had a baby almost two years ago and just wasn't all that worried about postpartum hair loss because I have such thick hair and I didn't think it would be a problem for me. But when I stopped breastfeeding earlier this year, I was so annoyed by all of the little baby hairs that started sprouting up. Nutrafol has helped them grow out so quickly and healthfully and strong. And so I'm going to keep taking it at least until I feel like I'm fully past this hump. Nutrafol is formulated with potent botanicals to help you grow hair as strong as you are. It's physician formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use natural, clinically effective botanicals for better hair growth through whole body health. On top of stronger, thicker hair without lasers or chemicals, their ingredients may also help you get a handle on better sleep, stress, skin, nails, and libido. Visit Nutrafol.com and take their hair wellness quiz for customized product recommendations that put the power to grow thicker, stronger hair back into your hands. When you subscribe, you'll receive monthly deliveries so you never miss a dose. Shipping is free and you can pause or cancel anytime. 77% of women saw improvements in just 90 days. I am one of them. Even if you aren't experiencing thinning hair, Nutrafol can help you grow thicker, stronger hair. You deserve hair as strong as you are, and Nutrafol can help you achieve your best hair growth naturally. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using promo code THINGER2 to get 20% off. This is their best offer available anywhere, plus free shipping on every order. 
Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com promo code a thing or two. Their best offer anywhere. 20% off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code a thing or two for hair as strong as you are. Thank you so much for supporting the sponsors that support our show. Hey guys, it's me, Chriselle Lim, co-founder and CMO of Bumo. As a busy working parent myself, I felt like there was a lack of options for parents and I personally needed more support. So that's what we're doing here on Being Bumo. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. So subscribe now to Being Bumo at applepodcast.com slash beingbumo or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, gotta go. See you guys soon. Another thought I had, and I, I feel like you and I have both done a pretty good job of eliminating a lot of like friend gifting from our lives. And I'm happy about that. But basically, if, like, if there are people that maybe we would typically go out for like a holiday dinner and that's not happening this year because of the year it is, or maybe we would like buy each other little like stocking stuffery type things. Instead, pooling our money and donating it somewhere that we feel good about and that we feel like Instead of like us each donating 25 bucks on our own, it ends up being like 150, which maybe would make a difference. That's a lovely idea. Yeah. I really like that idea. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, probably a lot of people will just say, we're not doing gifts this year because times are tough and that's yeah. fine too. And there are creative ways to think about showing your love for people other ways. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Which is like, of course, not to say like, don't buy anyone a gift or we're not trying. I don't know. I don't No, You know what? Do you think it, we sound we, grinchy? No. What I think we're trying to offer people is an experience that I have been, that I have delighted in often, which is Instead of feeling guilty about spending money, feeling like somehow virtuous because I feel like I'm helping support or in some cases even save a business. And totally. that is maybe fiscally irresponsible on a personal level. It is really an emotionally satisfying experience yes. to feel like, yes. oh, I'm not just buying something. I'm actually doing good because I am giving money to a business that I would like to see exist in the world. And I just think that's such a good feeling. And... um and I, I hope that everybody can engage and in, in experience that this season. Absolutely. We have a few gift guide episodes of this podcast planned. And what we ask of you is that if you have anyone who's your hard to shop for person or people, DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ or email us at podcast at a thing or two HQ.com with your, this person. Be as like specific as possible. And we will come at you with our recs that follow that like follow these like tenants of this the types of gift buying that we're psyched to be doing. That's right. I'm, I love the gift guide episode last year. They were so much fun to do. They were such a big hit. So they were whiskey stone free, which is something you can't say about most gift guides. Huge. So huge, please, huge. please send us in your queries. We will tell you what to buy for all your people. Um, should we bring on today's guest? Oh my gosh. She's She's someone you want to know. She's someone's <sighs> name you're going to keep hearing about. This week, we have Vanessa Price, who is a wine expert extraordinaire who has a new book coming out called Big Max and Burgundy. It's and out. It's out. Oh, yeah, sorry. She has a new book out. It's yeah. called Big Max and Burgundy. And she co-wrote it with our bud, Adam Laukoff. Um, it's exceptional. It's so good. She And the most exceptional chapter, of course, is the one that we contributed to. She asked us to contribute to a chapter on healthy snacks. So we, being the snack fluencers that we are, chose a bunch of our favorite healthy snacks. And she... Healthy-ish. Healthy-ish. Yeah. yeah. She sent us wine pairings to go with them. And we sat at our couple's desk and ate the snacks and tasted the wine pairings. And honestly, we were just floored by how good they were. I'm just never someone who's thought much about like, does the wine I'm drinking go with the food I'm eating? And this brought me to a whole new level of appreciation for how that actually works. The book follows suit in general. It's also beautiful. It's really beautiful illustrations and photography. And yeah, she's just... I just feel like she's a a name that's going to keep coming up in the wine world because she makes it so accessible in that way that your favorite chefs make cooking accessible when you felt like you weren't a cook. And they give you a recipe and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I just learned so much more than just how to make that dish. She will teach you something about wine that is going to extend into sort of like all the ways you interact with wine. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Let's bring Vanessa on. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really We're so psyched. It. We're so psyched. I'm so psyched to be here. <laughs> all right. Can we start by just 
who are you? What's your deal? How'd you get into wine? Like, what? <laughs> how are how, you? Oh, how God. did you end up here? Because this, you told us this story the first time we met you and I was riveted. It's charming. It's incredibly charming. <laughs> oh, God. Now I'm going to remember that story. You know, I ask myself, who are you every day? So uh, <laughs> let's see if I, can, if I can remember some facet of that. Um, I am Vanessa Price, um, born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. I did not grow up in the wine industry, which is, I think, something that surprises a lot of people. Um, not only did I not grow up in the wine industry, I did not even grow up with alcohol at all. Um, no one in my family drank. They were teetotalers, um, you know, Southern Baptist, toe in the line. My dad took, uh, like, he had a beer with me after I turned 21, and I almost fell out of my chair. You know, it was like <laughs> al- alcohol was like such a taboo thing. It's changed now. Now there's like, you know, bottles all over the place at Christmas time, but um, definitely growing up, it was, you know, culturally, it just wasn't that way. So coming to wine was an accident for me. But um, once I found it, you know, I was like a dog with a bone. I just bit in and, and never let go. Can you tell us what your first job in wine was and what got you so excited about wine at all? Yeah, it was a total accident. It was a hundred percent a total accident. So basically um, I moved to New York, you know, I finished high school, decided I was going to go like do, you know, I don't know, crazy things, ran away to Miami, lived with the girlfriend. Somehow um, there's a story in the book sort of about it. Ended up like smoking weed out of an apple with Matt Damon and like, you know, hearing this story about like, um, you know, I quit Harvard to write Goodwill Hunting and everyone told me I was crazy. And, you know, you're like 20 years old and you're like bright eyed yeah. and bushy tailed and you're like, I can do that too. And so like, you know, I, I ran home and, you know, didn't tell anybody, auditioned, got a, you know, got a partial scholarship, moved to New York, did all the things and then graduated. And it was like, wait a second. I am baroque as a joke taking the subway at midnight to go get free Starbucks pastries because I can't afford to live or eat. Um, you know, I'm auditioning all the time and like I just didn't understand how tough this was going to be. And my parents were going, Vanessa, you know, you want to be an actress, that's fine, but you need to finish college first. Like just do that. And then, you know, you go do what you want to do, but at least you'll have that piece of paper to fall back on. And I, you know, I decided to take them, um, to take their advice. And I moved back to Kentucky, but I was just like, you know what? I want in and I want out. And so I did something very crazy. I uh, decided to fast track university and I did it in two years, tested out of everything that I could, used all my AP credits, doubled off on, on coursework, um, got, you know, allowed to do like 18 hour, 21 hour semesters. It was, you know, I was a masochist, but um, the point of all that being, you know, I still wanted to have a little bit of money, you know, cause like I was, you know, it wasn't a kid anymore and I wanted a job, but it was really hard to find a job that would only take you like one or two shifts a week. You know, most jobs, you know, especially college labor jobs, they, they want you at least half time yeah. or part time, if not full time. And, um, I found myself being introduced to this winery in downtown Louisville where they were only open to the public on Friday and Saturday nights. And so I remember um, going in for my interview and Dave, who was my first wine boss, he was the best. He's like Virginia slim smoking, like would light one with the next. There was like always one going <laughs> at the bar because this was when you could still smoke inside. Uh-huh. And um, I re- I'll never forget. He asked me, he's like, so do you know anything about wine? And I said, no. And he said, do you, can you work on Friday and Saturday nights? And I said, yes. And he said, well, you're hired. And so that was sort of the beginning of my wine journey, you know? And so like, that was just, you know, it was a lot of fruit wine, a lot of what's called hybrids, which are um, a cross of grapes that are half European and half American, which is like a very East Coast thing to do. You know, a lot of things that we don't typically think of when we think of wine necessarily, but um, the culture around it still existed. You know, like you'd hear the pop of the cork, you'd hear the you know, glug into yeah. the, to the glass, you'd, you, you know, people would sit around the, the wine bar and they would ask questions and there would be these conversations about, you know, what was sweeter, what was drier and what was fruitier. And, you know, it was just like, I didn't know that much, but I, I found myself just enamored with, with all of it. It would seem to be this cross section of me to science and art and culture and history. And it just, it fascinated me. And so when, um, you know, I was done with college, you know, wrapped that up in a bow and I said I was moving back to New York. You know, my parents, I think, had just wrapped their brains around, all right, she's going to go try and be an actress. And so I'll never forget, I was like on a run with my dad. And, um, you know, he's like, so you're going to move back to the city, you're going to start auditioning. And I was like, no, I'm going to go back and be a sommelier. And he was like, a what? You know, it's like, <laughs> I just accepted this acting thing. What are you talking about? Now you're going to go work in alcohol? What does that even mean? You know, so, but that was the beginning of wine for me. 
that it just sort of snowballed. It turned into doing PR and events, and then it turned into wine education, and then it turned into being a sales rep for a distributor, and that turned into being an importer, and then you know that turned into me starting to make art and wine and column, and you know it was just like a snowball. And but eventually, yeah, it got to the point that people were allowing me to write wine lists for them. Um, I work with a number of collectors today. You know, some are collecting because they just want to drink really good in 15 to 20 years and some because, you know, they're doing it for a financial purpose. They're going to, you know, try and get into the, the, the game that way. So right. um, it's a lot of fun. Thank you so much to Sakara for sponsoring today's episode. We are pretty choosy in general about what advertisers we work with on this show. But in this case, it was such a no-brainer because both of us have been paying for Sakara for a long, 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 long time before they ever approached us about working together. So when they did finally approach us about working together, we were like, absolutely, let's start yesterday. So I don't know if you follow us on social, but recently we were soliciting questions from our audience about anything. You know, like, what do you need advice on? What do you want to know? What can we help you with? And somebody wrote in and said, I've fallen into some bad eating habits and I'm trying to transition back to eating healthy. Do you have any tips? And I know exactly what it's like to be in this stage. It feels hard. It feels like you have gotten into these bad habits and they're really hard to break and you just need a reset. And one of my go-tos when I am in this situation is to order a week or two of meals from Saqqara. The first time I tried it, I was honestly just not expecting that much because I'm one of those people who struggles to get excited about prepared foods. I feel like they're always limp or mushy from sitting around or the flavors don't last. But the team at Sakara are masters at this and they have, they've they've just figured it out. They've figured out how to make this type of food taste so good and just be something that I always look forward to. I also just learn a lot from the meals that they send over. They experiment with ingredients that I'm not necessarily familiar with. And it just gets me in a place where I'm eating healthier even long after I've stopped getting the deliveries from them. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients, and they're designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. The menu changes weekly, so you'll never get bored, and it's delivered fresh anywhere in the United States. Along with delicious, plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience the power of plants as medicine with their best-selling metabolism super powder. Made with organic raw cacao, it works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, The New York Times, and more. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash a thing or two or enter code a thing or two at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash a thing or two to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash a thing or two. The wine world such, it feels just so intimidating. Um, and it, I think people find it to be really unapproachable. And as someone who came at this, you know, with, with a family who didn't drink, with, you know, who didn't have like, old vineyards in their bloodline. How did ah, you... Ah, how I did meet you, that people. I'm like, do you know how crazy your like birth is? Right. <laughs> your birth is crazy. Right. How, how did you break through that intimidation and feel like you could crack into that world and not, and, and not just feel like I'm an outsider here and no one's ever going to, you know, take me seriously in this space? Well, I, okay. So I, for a second, you know, um, I guess I would veer back to, you know, I got to think, my parents, you know, they raised me, you know, I was never told you're so pretty. I was always told you're so smart. And so I think inherently there was always a voice in my head saying, you can do this. Even if they were at home going, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, when I got older, but like, you know, that had been ingrained in me from a young age was that if I believed in myself and I, you know, did the work to back it up, you know, you can't just have a high opinion of yourself and hope everybody believes you. But, you know, if I put the hard work in, that I could succeed. And then it was also just a lot of like eating it along the way. So we met you for the first time by taking a wine class with you. And mm-hmm. I've taken, I have i don't know if I've taken wine courses before, but I've been to a winery. I've like, you know, been through all of the spiel before. And I always leave feeling like, okay, that I forgot everything I just learned. And right. I don't, I don't know any more about wine than when I entered. Like I knew a little bit in the moment, but I've already forgotten it. And the way that you 
structure your wine courses is so different from any other wine education I've ever had. So I'm hoping that without like totally giving it all away, can you sort of <laughs> lay out the foundation of your wine course? How do you structure it? Well, I, I think that at the core of it, the important thing to me is context, right? Like it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Like perfect example. I remember the first time I took a wine class, it was just like a piddly, like regional, like local New York city thing. You know, at the time I thought it was like the grand, you know, Taj Mahal or something of wine. Cause you know, that was all I knew. Yeah. Um, but I remember we're in the first class and, you know, I pick up the wine and I smell it. And the instructor is like, notes of, uh, you know, tart blackberry and other bramble fruits with a large, powerful rustic tannin palette and a, you know, a long finish, bright acidity. He's like saying all these things and like, I'm smelling and tasting it. And I'm like, it just tastes like wine. I don't know. <laughs> and I thought, you know, by class 10, I'm going to understand what he's talking about. Like, I just got to get, you know, I just got to do this. And so, but then class 10, I still felt the same way. I still felt like it just smells and tastes like red wine to me. I don't understand. Maybe I can't do this. And I remember having a conversation with my dad, who's a phenomenal speaker and teacher. And I remember he said, you know, he's like, well, sweetheart, I don't know anything about wine, but it sounds to me like you just don't have any context. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you don't, how, how can you attach a theory to you? Like, how can you embody and own and understand an idea or, you know, a set of knowledge if there's nothing within that set that you can attach to yourself, right? Like you don't start with calculus. You start with addition and subtraction and division and multiplication. You work your way up to geometry, right? Like you have to have the context to get to the, that point. And so I think one of the challenges that often happens with wine courses, especially ones that aren't structured for, like if you're going and doing like formal stuff with the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, they do a great job of that. But like, you know, if you're going to a winery or you're just having a wine tasting, like entertaining with your friends, I think the thing that gets lost is context. And so you have to talk about the wine, but you have to talk about the wine in a framework that we can all relate to, right? And so it's one thing if I say, this wine has high acid. And it's another thing if I say, think about when you have a super sour lemon wedge in your hand and I tell you that I want you to take a big old bite out of that lemon. Do you feel that sensation on the sides of your jaw where it's starting to tinkle? There's not even a lemon here, Already right, right now. Yeah, same. Already, Already right now. Yeah. <laughs> Already right now, you're starting right. to get that tink because your, your palate is anticipating the yeah. high amount of acidity that's coming. So now when you put a white wine in your mouth and I ask you, can you find that feeling? There's context, right? And so now when I say this is a high acid wine, you're like, oh, got it. Because I understand contextually this feeling. And so it's important to talk about the four main elements of wine, which are sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. And it's important to talk about like, once you introduce food, the main components of food, which are like our, how we taste sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and umami. So framing things around that, instead of just like, this is a Grenache Syrah Mervedra blend from Southern France. And it's a, with a Garrigue aroma, aroma or whatever it is, like that's just not helpful. And so I guess yeah. I like to talk about things that are helpful. And the example you gave was so perfect with the lemon and, you know, ev and everything sort of followed from that. And that is why it stuck. And I think what has always challenged me about wine is that when someone says, oh, it's sort of dry and minerally or it's dry or it's minerally, I kind of get what they're saying, but that's not something we have context for outside really of wine or just like taste in general. And so, it, and it's certainly not something we talk about, you know, from when we're kids and learning the difference between sweet and sour. And so for you to strip it all back to the basics of like, here's lemon, here's a glass of sugar water, just makes such a difference because that's language we actually have. Right. You and you do a really, really exceptional job of summarizing all of that in the book and of noting parts where you say, read that again until it sticks. Like really, like read this <laughs> sentence over again. I know, I'm very until obnoxious. <laughs> no, it's, no, because I do think, I, Claire and I took a lot away from you, doing that with you in person. Um, and I do think that actually those reminders in text are like really key because it, it, it are just hammering home the fact that like, this actually matters. This will help everything that flows from here make more sense. So just keep circling back to it. Yeah, right. put it on a loop. Put it on a loop. Hi, it's Claire. 
Okay, so you know how one of the coping strategies that Eric and I have adopted for 2020 is romance novels? Based on the response we've been getting, it seems like a lot of you have been doing the same. So we wanted to tell you about a new fiction podcast called Rom-Com Pods that is basically a romance novel in podcast form. It is the thing that I listen to when I'm cleaning the house or doing some other mindless chores for which I feel I deserve some kind of reward. Each season of Rom-Com Pods is a new rom-com storyline complete with immersive sound design and a whole cast of characters. I've been listening quite intently to the current season, which is a delightful election trail romance that's exactly the escapist journey we all need right now. In season two, it's 2012, and Lucy is an intern for the Democratic governor of Texas who has a very cute son. They have the perfect first state, and then the next morning, the guy just completely disappears. So now it's eight years later, her boss is running for president and her job depends on the guy who ghosted her. To subscribe, search Rom-Com Pods, all one word, wherever you listen. And follow along on Instagram at Rom-Com Pods for fun behind the scenes with the creators and actors. So speaking of the book, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. It started as a Oh, thank you. It yes. started as a column in New York Magazine where you were making unexpected wine pairings, right? With like food that it's not sea bass, it's a Big Mac, right? Um, and what wine does it go with? So how'd you come up with this idea? Ooh, so um, interstage, right, Adam Luckoff. Um, so, so basically, very early on in my wine career, I sort of had this realization that we've been talking about was that what we were lacking was context. And I found as I taught more and I spoke more that everybody had the same questions. And, you know, and that's not to say people are boring, but it's to say that like, there are so many people out there that have all these questions that are the same questions that no one seems to be answering, which is just so crazy. Um, Cause everybody's curious, but nobody's doing any, like nobody's communicating in a way that like we're answering these questions. And so I decided I was going to write a book. And so I wrote a book because I didn't know that what you're supposed to do. I didn't know how all the things work. And so I wrote a book, um, not by myself. I actually wrote it with my sister. My sister and I worked on it for like a good 18 months. And as I was getting towards the end of it, this is where um, our, how we got connected comes yes. in. Um, the co-write on my book and also definitely like my writing mentor and uh, most importantly, my upstairs neighbor of 14 years now. Oh my God. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Crazy, right? So he's, you know, a big hotshot in the the wine world or in the wine world, in the writing world, the publishing world. You know, he's got all the names under his belt and he's a phenomenally talented writer. And, um, you know, classic crotchety, you know, disposition to go with it. And um, But a real whiskey um, drinker, that man, not a wine person. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I remember I went to him and I said, I was like, okay, I wrote a book. So how do I get it published? And he was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? What am I talking about? I wrote a book. I need to get it published now. And he's like, that's not how it works. And I was like, well, how does it work? And he said, well, you need bylines. And I was like, okay, how do I get bylines? And he was like, slow down, grasshoppers, slow down. (laughs) He's like, you know, talk to me about what it is that you want to do. And so I explained this idea of context, of putting things in a framework that I thought would be more useful. And, you know, and this is where, like, I always think that we are such a great sparring team for one another is that, you know, he was like, okay, great. So you want to teach people, but you also need to entertain people, right? Like you want them to want to read, not just feel like you're teaching them something. And so he was like, give me 10 ideas, pretend I'm a publisher, give me 10 ideas. And so I just started pitching him and pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching, you know, and he was like swatting me away like a fly, like, nope, 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 nope. And finally I sent him one about unusual food and wine pairings that are, classically known in the wine world, but very surprising to people outside the industry. For example, fried chicken and champagne. Everybody in wine knows that's a great pairing, but like, you know, most people are like shocked to learn that that's, you know, wine people do that. And he was like, I think there could be something there. Try and write one. And so I tried to write one and we worked on that for a while. And when it got to the point that he was like, okay, I think that you have something here. He helped me um, to craft a pitch and we started sending the pitch out and very fortunate to have it land at New York Magazine. They loved the idea. They asked for one for Halloween. It was just a one-off and I did Sour Patch Kids and a Finger Lake Semi-Dry Riesling uh, because I wanted to do a New York wine. 
And, um, and fun fact, I picked Sour Patch Kids because that's the most popular Halloween candy in New York. Like, And also state. because they're the best candy. Also, sour candy is the best candy there ever was. Yeah. Uh, but it's the most popular in New York. <laughs> and so since it was for New York Magazine, I thought it was appropriate. And um, it ended up having like, you know, all the clickbait and, you know, went viral and blah, blah, blah. And so then, you know, they asked for another one for Thanksgiving. They asked for another one for New Year's Eve. And then before I knew it, they were asking me to churn them out weekly. And, you know, that was the point where Adam was like, go fly grasshopper because I ain't got time for this. And so then, you know, <laughs> I spent the next, um, the next year and a half doing it as a, um, as a weekly column, which was pretty incredible. And before I knew it, I had um, publishers knocking on my door asking me the, the irony if I wanted to turn my column into a book. And so the irony is um, I wrote a book that to write a book. <laughs> so maybe one day I'll get back to the book that I wrote originally, but um, you know, you just never know how things are going to go. Um, okay. So you talked a little bit about pairings and, you know, talking about the idea of fried chicken and champagne. Why does that pairing work and how do you come up with pairings in general? Ooh, so two very deep questions, but I'll try and yes. like, you know, answer them succinctly. I would say how I come up with pairings is it's somewhat instinctual. Um, you know, I think once you know enough about how flavor and um, textural profiles of wines work with foods, it becomes a bit more of a muscle memory because, you know, you just know like that's going to be terrible or that's going to be pretty tasty. Certainly there's, there's some experimentation if I'm unsure. There are definitely foods that are very easy to pair and have a multitude of wines that could go with them. There are foods that... I mean, I remember when um, New York Magazine, so they were the ones pick. So basically for the column, I would send them, I would say, okay, here's 20 foods I want to pair for the next quarter, whatever. And then they would say, okay, do these 12. And so then I would have to take those 12 and, you know, decide what I was going to do with them. And I remember once I got stuck on s'mores. It was so hard. <laughs> I couldn't find a wine. I couldn't find a wine. The graham cracker nuttiness, yeah. the super saccharine sweet glue-like marshmallow, you know, the adding of the char, which is its own unique flavor profile, then the milk chocolate, which is both bitter and sweet. Like it was a combination of flavors and textures that every wine I tried to pair it with, I was like, I mean, yeah, sure, fine, it works. Like, it's not like I'm going, oh my God, that was awful to put in my mouth. But I had yet to find a wine that I thought, shit, that is it, you know? And so it was one of those, like, I kept making s'mores and like <laughs> seeking out bottles and, um, you know, ended up on a very bizarre, well, not bizarre, but for the, I guess someone who doesn't know wine bizarre, but a uh, very uncommon uh, esoteric wine called Recioto della Vallapolicella, which is a sweet red wine from Northern Italy. Look at how good your Italian pronunciation know, has I'm gotten so too. <laughs> There's been a few Italian boyfriends over the year. They probably helped me a little <laughs> bit. Um, it works because it is sweet, right? To com to go with all of the sweetness more. But because it's a red wine, it also has that bitter twinge of tannin, which works with the bitter twinge of the chocolate and uh, the nuttiness of the graham cracker. And so it just becomes this like amalgamation of a symphony in your mouth, you know? And so it's like when you have that moment, I remember sitting on my couch and like eating the s'more and like drinking the recioto and being like, yes, I found it, you know? It's like that sort of moment. But um, not all foods are that hard to pair. So Vanessa, coming to foods that are maybe a little easier to pair than s'mores, are there certain bottles that are worth always just having around if you're someone who's like always ordering Vietnamese takeout or loves to dig into a big bowl of pasta or, you know, roast a chicken once a week? So I think that, well, I mean, number one, you should have whatever wine you love to drink around. Um, I don't think anyone should ever be shamed for whatever it is that they like to drink. I don't care if that's barefoot out of Magnum or if that's Lafitte, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whatever you want to do, A-OK -okay with me. But in terms of like sort of having a, a style range so that, you know, you have that, you know, that pew, pew, pew arsenal, if, depending upon which direction you're going on any given day of the week, I think it's good to think about styles of wine. We tend to think about grapes of wine and not styles, but that is folly in my opinion, because, um, great example, Chardonnay, right? A Chardonnay from Chablis, which is uh, a, a sub-region in Burgundy in France, those wines aren't oaked. 
and they're from a very northern cold climate. And so they're a very lean, very steely, very bright version of Chardonnay. Whereas Chardonnay from California, as we all know, is very big, it's very round, it's very plush, it's very creamy and buttery. And so it's a very different style of wine, even though they're both Chardonnays. And so when, when people ask me this question, I tend to say, move away from thinking about having different grapes available and think about having different styles available. And so I think if you always have on hand a light white, an oaked white, a light red, a like plusher fuller red, and then always, always, always a bottle of bubbles, I would say you're good to go. And then if I was going to put a sixth in it, so if you've got like a little like six bottle rack on your countertop, mm-hmm, I'd mm-hmm. probably put a rosé. Um, we tend to th- forget about rosé outside of like this like three month window in the summertime, but they can be great food wines and they can be drank year rounds. All right. So you brought up champagne and I'd like to bring up another one of the earth shattering secrets that you shared with us, which is that we shouldn't be storing champagne in the fridge for like a year or just waiting for the perfect time. God, no, don't do it. Which is exactly what I do. Um, And can you, for someone who does, and because you're like, no, this this ruins the champagne. It's a disaster. For someone who doesn't have a wine cellar, what are the sort of guidelines for the rare the rare people among us who don't have wine cellars? <laughs> peasants know, without right? those, wine those cellars, weirdos that don't have cobs in their you know <laughs> custom done in their kitchens. Um, it's well, shameful to admit, but I don't have one. I don't want anybody yeah. listening to be like, "Why? Why is she such a snot?" Yeah, <laughs> no, don't be don't don't be shamed by it at all. I just don't want people to think that I'm a snot. It was like, "Don't put your wine in the cold refrigerator." There's there's a very real like sciency reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think about your vegetables, right? The reason that they stay so crisp and fresh and delicious and good in your refrigerator um, is that there is a lack of oxygen in there. And so um, it's sort of keeping that stasis of like that, you know, where we want our vegetables and fruits to and other foods to stay um, in addition to being so cold. But the thing is, it's not enough moisture for, um, sorry, I said, I said not enough oxygen, but also not enough humidity um, for our corks, right? So your cork Yes, it allows for a gentle passage of air to move in and out of the cork, but it can't allow for too much, right? Like if you press a a healthy, as we call it, a healthy cork, there's going to be a little bit of a give back, right? Because it's got some softness to it, but it's because it's a natural material and corks on champagne are natural cork material. That left for a long period of time, I'm talking like over, let's say two or three weeks is really the max that I would keep something in the refrigerator. Um, What happens is the lack of moisture in the refrigerator starts to dry out the cork. And so when you go weeks and months and years on end waiting to open that special bottle, um, you've literally dried out the cork and you're allowing too much oxygen to get into the wine. And you're literally just like, matterizing the wine in a sense in a really cold Mm. environment. And so what happens is you end up opening it. If you've ever had that experience where like you open a champagne bottle and you know how the bottom part that was in the neck, it's supposed to mushroom back open and it doesn't, it just stays that like little skinny, doesn't Mm. reopen. That's because the cork dried out and too much oxygen too much oxygen was getting in. So it just, it, it destroys your wine. Um, so what's good for your food is not good for your wine. Unless it's being drank in the next couple of weeks, if you're really wanting to keep it long-term and you don't want to, you don't have a, like a wine cob or a wine refrigerator to put it in, then the best thing that you can do is store it in a dark, cool place on its side. So for most people Hmm. that's under a bed, that's in a closet, that's not backed up to a boiler. You know, it's the bottom part of your pantry at the back where it's dark. Why on its side? Uh, same reason as the wine refrigerator um, will dry your cork out. If you, if you stand a bottle upright, you don't have any liquid in contact with the cork and the cork itself gets dried out because the liquid is actually yep. working as like a, boister, a, a barrier to keep it moist. Um, so standing up for too long, there's just no contact. It's just air on both sides and it mm-hmm, starts mm-hmm. to denigrate the cork. Makes sense. Didn't know any of this. No, no, none of this. None of this. Yeah, I think the thing, you have to remember, wine is a living, breathing thing, right? It's in between grape juice and vinegar. And how long we keep it in the stasis of grape juice depends on how we treat the wine. Just like how long we stay human is like how good we treat our bodies. You know what I mean? So it's it's just good to remember like, 
it's an, it is a destructible thing. And so if you're going to, and I'm not saying like, you need to be so precious with your wine all the time, but like, if you're going to buy a nice bottle, then take care of it so that it tastes as good as it should when you eventually open it. This is an incredibly boring question for wine people, I am certain. But since Thanksgiving is coming up, I am asking anyway, what do we drink at Thanksgiving? <laughs> no, that's not... I mean, it's one of my favorite meals is coming. Um, <laughs> although I don't know how Thanksgiving is going to be this year. I haven't decided. No, me like, either. Which is why we really need to feel good about the wine, Vanessa. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, well, the, so the classic wine to pair with Thanksgiving is a grape called Gamay, which is from a region in Southern Burgundy called Beaujolais, um, just because it's a very light, fruity wine, a red wine, I should say. So, you know, it's got enough tannic structure for the protein in your turkey. It's got enough fruitiness for your cranberry sauce. It can kind of run the gamut. It's lower in alcohol. So you can, you know, keep pouring and and not feel like you're going to fall out of your chair. Like you might with like a higher alcohol red. If you wanted to leave that arena, I would say that, um, number one, if you are going to a Thanksgiving or Friendsgiving with other people this year, or, you know, in years future, when we definitely can do that stuff, um, somebody bring the person, be the person that brings the bubbles. It always drives me crazy when like we show up to a dinner and we've got all these people and everybody brought rye. We've got like 800 bottles of red and, you know, 300 bottles of white and no bubbles. I'm like, how did no one bring bubbles? <laughs> so I'm usually the person that brings the champagne. Um, champagne pairs with just about everything. It's one of the most diverse food wines and it gets relegated to this like only when we're celebrating and not with food sort of category. And so I would say um, opening your mind up to thinking about having champagne with food is just a glorious, glorious turn of events in life. Um, Men. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, and um, I would say beyond that, probably um, a category that a lot of people wouldn't think to try, but would be go really well, would be um, the same category as kind of what I was talking about, the Sour Patch Kids, a style of uh, Riesling called off-dry Riesling, which means it's not quite sweet, but it's not totally dry. It just has a slight touch of residual sugar, but way more acidity. So it's still very like bright and crisp, but with a a little bit of softness from the sugar, they tend to have like this really like powerful, oily sort of texture to them that just sort of, you know, if you think about all of the classic foods that we have at Thanksgiving, it will go with pretty much all of them. Um, And maybe you'll take a sip of it without food and be like, well, I don't know how to think about this. But then you go around and you start having it with like your Brussels sprouts with the, you know, the honeyed bacon. And then you have them with like your candied yams and like, think about how many elements of what we have at Thanksgiving are both sweet and savory, right? This is what the embodiment of a semi-dry Riesling is. And so like you get a good one from Germany or upstate New York or Austria, they can be game changers. I want to know, are there any new wine trends on the horizon? Like, I'm super into everything that's happening with natural wine and orange wine. And, you know, before that, it was all about the rosé. What's next? Oh, man. I don't think I would call myself like a trend caller. But if, um, <laughs> ooh, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, I think that natural wine um, is definitely something that is going to continue to grow in this country. I think, I think that we need to do some work on explaining what this category of wine is to the market. But I certainly think that it is growing as a whole. I think that another big one that's going to start, you're going to start to see more is something called grower champagne, which is a style of champagne that the same person who grew the grapes made the wine, which are, which are like, yeah, don't, doesn't everybody do that? But actually a very small percentage of champagne does that. Um, so like all the names you've heard of, you know, like Veuve or Moet or whatever, they're, they're called houses and they buy their grapes, they don't grow them. And so I think there's, you're going to see more and more grower champagnes in the market because there's just such a conversation around sustainability, responsible farming. Um, and so I think that you're going to see that continue to grow. Um, I also hope that at a certain point, and I guess this is my hope. So if, if I get to be a trendsetter, I'm setting the trend now. I hope at some point that like we circle back to the classics a little bit and um, start to have some conversations about them in a way that is less hoity-toity. There's a reason that, you know, Bordeaux or Burgundy or Brunello or Barolo. There's a reason that these wines are so fabled and, you know, have so much lore around them and certainly price tags to match. But all of these areas don't just produce big, swanky, expensive wines. They also produce more affordable tiers, you know, entry price point tiers. Cardi B posted about your book, 
on her Instagram story and I gasped. I gasped. Oh, I fell um, out of my bed. <laughs> <laughs> Physically fell out of it. <laughs> what was this experience like for you? And what was the pairing she was like psyched about? Well, so um, let me just start by preface by saying Cardi is my queen, all hail the queen. <laughs> um, and so like one of the things that like, from the beginning. So she has a line of wrap snacks. They're chips with different flavors. And there's one that I actually really like, which is the, you know, she's Cardi B. It's the barbecue, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. cheddar barbecue uh, chip, which I love. And um, so I wanted it to be a pairing in the book to which, you know, Adam was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to throw you this bone. <laughs> You know, because he's like, I'm not, this isn't one fight I'm not going to win. And so, um, you know, it made it to the book. And I remember telling um, my publisher, like, I would just die if I could get her a copy of the book. And so um, it, I ended up very fortunately coming to a connection path point to her and was told that I had the green light to um, send her her pairing in the book. So I actually sent her her barbecue chips cheddar barbecue chips, one of the wines from the pairing of it itself, because each of the pairings in the book, I guess I should explain this. Um, I give you th- between one and three, depending upon the wine recommendations at different price points. And so like, you know, the baller price point wine, I sent her that with the chips and the book. Because she's a baller. And you can't not send her a different She's a baller. One. Yeah. You yeah, got yeah. to send her the baller <laughs> wine. So I actually had to trade for it because it's not even a wine that you can just like <laughs> go by if you want to. And so like, I knew someone who's like an avid collector of it. And so Christoph, I love you. Um, I went, you know, I was like, what can I trade you for this bottle? And, uh, he agreed to do it and we sent it over to her. And, you know, I think she probably gets sent if I had to guess 8,000 packages a day. And so I knew that in most likelihood it was just going to disappear into the abyss, but Hey, you know, at least I tried. Your book is so wonderful. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. on the show. So Go fun. buy Big Macs and Burgundy would make an incredible gift for the holiday season, by the way. Thank you. Um, buy it at your local... You could even pair it with a pairing from cute. the book. That'd be the super book. cute. Yeah. So the book cute. and a pairing from the book. Into it, into it, into it. Yes. Thank <sighs> you. So All right. That's Layers. the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com. 